0: Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. I spent 30 years in the police and I did a lot of interesting jobs during that time at many ranks. When I left the police, I wrote a book all about my experiences, the title of which, unsurprisingly, is Tango Juliet Foxtrot. But you'll need to read the book to understand what TJF stands for. This podcast is all about British policing, the good, the bad and the ugly. If you're interested in what policing's really like, this is definitely the podcast for you. In it, I interview lots of people who have done some amazing things in policing, and I also give you my thoughts on what's been going on in the news to help you understand how it all works, or doesn't work sometimes. Caution is advised, as some of the topics can be distressing, and there's some swearing from time to time. So, here we go. Hello folks, welcome to episode 45 of the Tiger Juliet Foxtrot podcast, I hope you're well. I hope you're a bit better than I've been this week, because after two years of dodging the COVID bullet, it finally caught up with me on Tuesday of this, well actually, to be fair, I tested positive on Tuesday, but I've been feeling pretty ropey for a couple of days, and then by the time I got to Tuesday, I was thinking, hmm... This is not a normal cold or something. There's things going on here that I don't feel very happy with, so I better test. And sure enough, quick as a flash, it came up with that dreaded double red line. So um, it's been a really crap week, actually. Um, it's Saturday night, Saturday evening, and uh, I'm starting to feel okay again. Um, I'm probably, I'd say I'm probably 75%, 80%. Um, but I haven't got any taste. I haven't got any smell. Feeling pretty knackered. I did discover, however, that uh, there is one advantage of having COVID, and that is that you can't smell the dog shit when you're picking it up in the garden. I've got to say, having been a little bit... Everybody just needs to man the fuck up about COVID. I was probably... I was a little bit, if I'm honest, a little bit like that. Um, I completely take it back because... Um, I would say uh, Wednesday, Thursday of this week were shocking. I was about as ill as I think I've ever been and uh, couldn't get out of bed, shivering, sweating, um, lying in bed, aching, every bit of me was aching, even my hands were aching. I was thinking, oh my God. I tell you what, I hope this starts to get a bit better soon because if this starts getting any worse, I'm going to start fretting. But um, fortunately, it did start to get better. Anyway, enough of that uh, self-pitying stuff. Um, So this week, I'm going to be doing an interview with my old colleague, uh, Martin Brennan. I'm Martin was a detective superintendent um finished up as a superintendent but basically he was a career detective in the West Midlands Police uh and that's where I met him and worked with him uh Martin is a really good guy um we were chief inspectors together in force intelligence he was working on the sort of covert side and I was his counterpart on the overt side I suppose and um I had so much respect for Martin as a professional, um, super experienced and what he doesn't know about covert policing and all that kind of stuff is just not worth knowing. Um, And there's so many takeaways in this interview about policing, about physical, mental health and resilience and the impact that the job can have on people when they perhaps don't do enough to rest and recharge and consider themselves to be indispensable so i don't want to get into any spoiler uh, spoilers you'll need to get into the interview to hear you'll understand exactly what i mean when you listen to it but it's a really interesting conversation and there's all sorts of things that we covered I mean I'd worked with Martin for quite a long time and there's all sorts of things that I learned about Martin fascinating things that I can't believe I didn't know Um, but there are so many things that he's done since leaving the police that are fascinating and he's obviously been on something of a journey of self-discovery and all that stuff right anyway enough of me rambling on let's get into the interview Hey, there hey, you Look at you. You look like a wacky professor. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you look <laughs> like. You know what you look like. You look like a cross between the wacky professor and David Ginola. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take
1: that,
0: mate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mate. Oh, mate. It made me, uh, I, had to, I had to laugh because um, I saw a photograph. I'm not sure where it was. It was, might have been on LinkedIn or something like that. And um, my recollections of you were this sort of, like a lot of us, I suppose, at that sort of stage of our towards the end of our service, you know, you cultivate that sort of, um, you know, uh, gravitas, that's the word, isn't it? Shirts, ties, and suits, and all of this. And then the next thing, I see a photograph you looked at LinkedIn with like hair down to your shoulders and um, <laughs> looking like a proper hippie.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think this is my third midlife crisis, mate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> third, oh my god, I won't even go there with the other two. <laughs> uh, so how are you doing? You all right?
1: Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, really good. It's good to see you, and uh, yeah, no, everything's uh, yeah, it's good, mate. Jubilee yeah. day and everything, so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right. you look like you're in a little you look like you're in Mrs. Tiggy Winkle's cottage there. Or are you you
1: have got I I am, mate? Yeah, when, when we were tired, we uh, we, we sort of um we bought an old cottage out in the middle of nowhere, which is brilliant, but I'll pre-warn you the internet is shocking.
0: Right. <laughs> And do you so, keep do you keep twatting your head on the ceilings.
1: Oh mate, if I, yeah, I keep doing that, and then if a sparrow goes past, the internet goes down, and uh, yeah, no, <laughs> well, lovely mate. Yes, yeah, so, we yeah. shall.
0: Uh, we shall keep our fingers crossed. Um, yeah. But listen, uh, really, really, really grateful for you to come on the podcast. Um, you know, I'm, like a lot of people I've had on recently, you're you fit into this category as well, where I, I, it's, it's almost difficult to know where to start, really, because. You've had such an unbelievable career and uh, you've done some really amazing things and uh, not just, you know, in policing, but since you've left policing. So, yeah, um, just might as well kind of get into it. So what, what I'd like to talk about um, would be your police career, you know, um, you know, reasons for joining the police and early years and all that. Um, and then sort of a little bit about your, you know, what you did along the way. Um, and getting to the point where I sort of worked with you when you were doing a lot of stuff around serious and organized crime and hostage negotiation and all of that, and um, and then get into United Nations, which is really interesting, and uh, and then your kind of epiphany around well-being and what you're doing since then. So yeah, there's a lot to cover, really. Yeah. So uh, no, so when did you when did you join? What year did you
1: join? Uh, so I joined, um, well I was in the cadets actually So I joined uh, Westminster Cadets in 88 And joined the Regulars in 89 So I was in the cadets for uh, just over a year
0: uh, Alright, okay, so a gadget then Yeah,
1: absolutely mate, I <laughs> loved it It was just brilliant I didn't want to join the police after that I was like, hold on, I want to go And running around the hills
0: You want to stay, yeah, yeah Well I was chatting to Clive Burgess on a previous episode And he was a gadget as well, wasn't he? Although probably a bit <laughs> earlier than you
1: yeah, well, don't tell him that unless he listens to me. I think he was. But um, yeah, it was just, it was brilliant, mate. It was just, uh, it, for me, it was that period of my life where I wasn't quite sure what to do. And then that, then this cadet thing came out, I thought, well, I could do that. And yeah, I could train and I could go outdoors and I could do all the things I like doing and I might have to join the police. Yeah, I'll do that going.
0: <laughs> You can do it. Go out, play outdoors, and then do thirty years in the police. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the downside
1: was the thirty years in the police. I think mate. If they <laughs> left me there, I've been happy. <laughs> <out. laughs>
0: so, um, so yes, yeah, so you obviously joined West Mids. Uh, I take it you did join West Mids as your first force, was it?
1: I did. Yeah, yeah, but, okay. yeah. I stayed with them for, throughout. They, they paid my wages, and now pay my pension.
0: Oh, okay. And um, so, where was your first posting?
1: Um, so, my first posting was uh, Bulgrave Road in Bursley Heath. All oh, right, Okay. Um, so uh, thrown right in the deep end, really, Ian. In terms of young, nineteen half-year-old lad, yeah, in the middle of uh, red light district. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. What? 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 A, what? What's a learning curve that was? Um,
0: yeah. I mean, well, it's a it's a it's a busy old part of Birmingham as well, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot going on there generally around crime and quite deprived parts as well, aren't there?
1: Yeah, it was brilliant because it it, it had it all actually. Because you had the real deprived areas and not lot of crime, then you had like Edgebaston where all the judges sort of lived and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and you had Selly Oak where all the students lived and got robbed or burgled,
0: right. um,
1: and then everything else in between really. So, um, so for me personally, I, I, it was a dream dream placement really. It was it was tough, but um, yeah, yeah you, you soon had to become street savvy in that that area. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: And in, in my book, I talk a lot about, um, you know, the the way that policing was back in those days, and I'm sure it was no different um, where you were in Birmingham. And, I mean, I'm sure you noticed a lot of changes, you know, from when you first started in terms of the style of policing and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, it was... It, obviously, it has changed, and we know it, it always does. But what, what I loved about that place, mate, was just, you know... You, you couldn't you couldn't bullshit anything you know because mm-hmm. they, they 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 would find you out very very quickly there so you couldn't yeah. give it the, the big i am yeah. but also you, you couldn't sort of back down either you know so yeah yeah i, I, I remember work you know within my first week you know some some lady of the night shouted out the window Oh, are you Martin Brennan, the new cop? And I'm thinking, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah, they knew more about me than I did them at that stage. Um, yeah. But uh, but no, it was it was a it was a great place. Um, but it, it was it was it was tough for, for not mm. only policing, but but certainly to live there for the residents and and what was going on there. It was um, it was it was a great place. But but as I say, what a place to learn learn my trade, mate. I loved it.
0: So long did you stay around there for? So I did my probation there, so
1: like everyone does. So I did my two years at Belgrave. Um, that, that flew by. Um, and then pretty soon after that, I stayed in Belgrave. Um, but I, I sort of went on to a couple of plain clothes, uh, mm. vehicle squads and things, stuff like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I sort of found a, a, a bit of a, a knack and a gravity towards um thief taking really. I just loved it, you know, this yeah. kind of, traffic lark and all that kind of stuff and apologies to anyone you have on your podcast and all that, but that, that wasn't for me, mate. I, I yeah. just, um, I just, I just love the, the crime element to it. And, um, and Balgrave was a, a great place to, to not only learn it, but also branch out into certain little departments that was, was was still there. And then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember when I, I didn't come to West Midlands until 2002, you know, so I'd done my first uh, what 13 odd years in um in london and then i came up to coventry in 2002 and um and yours was i remember yours being one of those names that you would hear um you know on the night note for like the force you know you you'd be you probably would have been but at that stage you probably would have been i don't know maybe a di or something like that yeah. um and uh yeah there was certain there were certain di's whose names were always on those kind of like you know, significant investigations or whatever. And you're, I remember your name being one of those. And I didn't, I'd never met you at that stage, obviously. But yeah, so you obviously stayed within an investigative role then, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did. And, um, you know, I was lucky that, you know, I, I learned the trade at the, you know, the real sort of tactical level for probably 11 years, really. And, and I had no mm. ambition at all to, to get promoted because, you know, I just thought that was for all the sort of, People that wanted that, so I was just having fun. I really was, you know. And then, mm. like like many cops will tell you, you know, probably yourself, you, you suddenly start getting led by people that you think, well, I wouldn't follow them into, in, yeah, <laughs> in some yeah, yeah. And things like that. And, <laughs> and it was a kind of like, well, you know what? Then, then if you want to make a change, not only you know what you do at a, at a tactical level, um, you know, you got to get yourself promoted and start making yeah. influence in the team and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was I was fairly late in promotion, I guess, but. Um, yeah but 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 was lucky in that um and, and it was weird because i was thinking about it, i did two years in uniform when i joined about two two and a half years i did a little bit of uniform as a sergeant and avoided the block like the plague and everything else because it yeah. just it was just a nightmare for me and then throughout you know then a the ds and di dci and all, all the way where it got to was mm-hmm. was cid really um yeah and and no unif- and again, no disrespect to any of the colleagues in the uniform. It just it just didn't didn't suit me in terms yeah. of that that sort of stage in my career. And um, yeah. certainly the the, the the CID detective, Intel, the covert world and stuff like that was was my bag, mate.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Um, you know, because you were westwards through and through. Um, you know, you started there, you finished, well, not quite finished, I you probably arguably you finished you know, the United Nations, didn't you probably? But um Yeah, I mean, I was always slightly jealous of when I transferred up in 2002. I hadn't a fucking clue what was going on because I'd been in the Met for like 13 years and felt really comfortable there. Um, And then you transfer to this other force and it's a big force, isn't it? You know. Uh, there's always this argument goes on is it, is it west mids or is it greater manchester you know the second biggest force in the country yeah. but you know if you're in the west mids you always say it's west mids don't you yeah. um yeah. but it's a busy old place isn't it and i was actually in coventry today with the family um and uh it brought back so many memories you know from those early days and i remember i was saying to my wife i said oh god i can remember going round this ring road Um, on the Blues and Twos, single crewed as a sergeant, you know, like on late turn or night duty. No clue where I was going. Um, All the procedures were so different compared to the Met. The language was different, you know. So I was dead jealous of people like you who who kind of knew everybody. You knew what you were doing and, you know what I mean, and the language and everything. So, I mean, did you ever... Apart from when you went off to other places at the back end of your career, did, did you ever spend any time in other forces at all? Or um, yeah, so I think I was kind of I've
1: done various commands and stuff like that. And as you say, Westminster is a big old force, isn't it? You know, yeah. from, from the city centre right out to sort of country borough and then right out to sort of Westminster and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it's it sort of in my roles as. It was, I think, it was called the Divisional Crime Unit. Then was like the sort of it started to branch out into sort of, you know, um, you weren't just responsible for Bulgrave Road; you're responsible for an area, and you know. Then we, but but like you, mate. To be fair, you know, I'm done sort of eleven years. Coventry, I, you know, I joined with a, like, a few lads from Coventry and stuff like yeah. that. I knew what it was. I knew they were all very aggressive, and. Uh, <laughs> And O'Neill and was when, you know, the Coventry would always moan about joining the police, the Birmingham police as it was, and I think, yeah. um, but hadn't had that much experience of, of Coventry until yeah. I joined that sort of regional sort of level. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And, and it confirmed to me that it was a pretty tough place. <laughs>
0: to be well, it's a weird, it's a weird place, isn't it? Because, I mean, I spent quite a few years in Coventry and um, it's very, very busy and uh, lots of serious crime going on there. Lots of, you know, it's just a Busy in every way everybody wants to fight you which is yes. a bit a bit strange I find that all a bit strange and nobody wanted to come quietly um but um yeah it's sort of lots of people it becomes very incestuous does not it lots of people start in Coventry and spend their whole career in Coventry the thought of them if you posted them up to Birmingham probably would have gone sick with stress or something you know what i mean and probably vice versa if you're if you're a brum you don't want to work somewhere like coventry do you yeah
1: yeah absolutely and it was always the kind of the fear when you when you did get promoted or you moved on and whatnot it's like i don't don't get posted to to sort of because it's like you know (laughs) not geographically it's miles away but again it would be like like you when you joined for the met you know you'd be like I mean, I used to go around that ring road, around and around, just because I didn't know how to get off. A <laughs> you know, little It's know, like wacky races, go. isn't it? Yeah, it was just a nightmare. So, but again, you know, with, with the regional stuff that we started to do, you'd, you'd start to meet, you know, detectives and teams from from Cobb and stuff like that, and you knew that you were doing mm. the same stuff, but just in different areas. So, yeah. Um, and and it was quite a nice mix then because you'd they'd start to mix the teams, so you'd have a couple of guys from carve and a couple of you know staff from the black country and then the the city centre. so when the jobs come on you'd always have a a bit of you know expertise from that
0: area that yeah sort of uh, local knowledge
1: yeah definitely and help us you know you know with the friendlies and looking you know local cops and stuff like that so yeah um, Yeah, yeah. so when did you
0: when did you get into the sort of serious and organized crime side of things
1: um, well, you know, I think if you look at what serious organised crime is, I'd say back at Belgrave Road, because it, it was happening there, to be honest. You know, mm. there was there was some serious stuff going on there. And um, I, I remember distinctly when I was thinking about this, you know, coming on to, to your, your podcast, and I, I remember there was a, clearly a surveillance job going on at Belgrave, and there was, there was an intervention at Belgrave Road, and you know, they took, mm. took this, this, this guy out in a car. Um, and I was asked to take mate because I was in uniform then and, and yeah. I was asked to sort of uh, just stop check the car as you do, you know, and yeah. uh, and bloody hell I opened the boot and there was a right loot of stuff in there, you know. And then yeah. yeah, yeah, some 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 guy came up to me and just went, you know, arrest him for this in a side of the <laughs> And I was like, what's going on here? Um and it and it suddenly dawned on me that actually there was another big area of policing that was going on um you know beyond you know what i was doing at that stage but mm. it intrigued me to be honest and i thought i like this this is really cool you know mm. and
0: then
1: mm. i got involved a little bit and 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 you know um got my crda there you know the usual sort of world and yeah and, and started to sort of um realize that actually a lot is going on in belgrave road in terms mm. of you know the crime and,
0: and yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah coming in
1: and exporting out but actually then that sort of Exporting out and so you know what what was defined as like the level one and then the level two and the level three the international stuff and that yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah so so but I, I probably only started to get into the, the sort of the, the 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 proper leagues I guess really when I went to the divisional crime unit right um and uh, that was not far after the 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 then serious organised crime unit had been disbanded so yeah. I changed the name. Uh,
0: so did you did they I mean I wasn't there when that was all going on but obviously that was so for anybody listening who doesn't know what that was there was a big corruption scandal wasn't there with the Westmid serious organized serious crime squad wasn't there that that yeah. was I can't I don't recall exactly what was going on but they basically ended up was it did Jeffrey Deere was he the chief constable at the time did he come in and clear yeah, and was it yeah, Ted I Crew? He- I can't remember
1: yeah I think it was it was between the two actually because yeah um yeah Jeffrey Day was there certainly when I started and it, mm. it, you know the inquiries had started then because as we know it went on for years and there was a lot of um, you know um investigations internally and then criminal investigations stuff like that going on um but yeah I, I kind of I came in at the tail end of that really mm. so it was a kind of a a new dawn, a new start, and really, but some of the, you know, it's, it's like anything in, you know, you, you get, you get one, you know, bad, you know, incident or couple, whatever, and the whole department's, you know, tired, yeah, 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 and, and, yeah. and from my experience, it wasn't like that at all, you know, some mm. really good, passionate mm. investigators and detectives. Yeah. Um, um, and and you know they they were just coming out of that, and, and the divisional crime unit was the the, the, the start of that really, mm-hmm. where it was like okay, right, we you know let's 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 get that kudos back because it was a, they were doing some brilliant stuff. There was no doubt some stuff that was going on that
0: yeah. you
1: know I wasn't privy to, but but was was questioned, and, and some yeah. people you know were were, were, were dismissed at the, yeah, for it at the yeah, end of yeah. the
0: day. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, but there were some really good detectives, and and mm. and, and the West Mids was really well respected for that yeah. for, for the stuff that And that's doing. why
0: and that's why corruption is such a a cancer, such a poison, isn't it? Um, in policing, because it only takes you know um, two or three you know bent coppers um, who could be working on a team of twenty to twenty five. And unfortunately, as you say, everyone gets tired of the same brush, don't they? And um, it's it, it's very hard, isn't it, for those people then to carry on in those roles without that sort of every time they go to court, it's going to be well, you were part of the West Midlands Serious Crime Squad, weren't you, officer? Yeah, well, and and, and that the corrupt West Midlands Serious Crime Squad, you know, so instantly your credibility's been questioned, regardless of how honest you are, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and and. And, it, and it's interesting, really, because then when you know, when I think about it, as I got more involved in, into sort of you know attacking serious organized crime. Uh, You know, throughout my career, really, corruption is still there. You know, Mm, I don't think there was a there was one job. You know, we we indoctrinate the jobs for a reason. Yeah, (laughs) and and that's because you know there there are organized crime groups out there, certain good criminals. Why wouldn't you want to get inside to you know uh, yeah yeah, into the police and stuff like that? You know, and if you can bamboozle them with money, cash you know, down the gym, all that kind of stuff. So I, yeah. I, I can't remember. I mean, it was almost like a generic strategy I would have and any covert job that we were running was, you know, what's the what's the anti-corruption um, strategy? Yeah. You know, how are we going to keep this in? And, and that yeah. wasn't because it didn't trust the team. It was just mm. because the area of work that we were in, we, it yeah. was, it was you know, um, exposed to, to that, you know. And, yeah. and why wouldn't a crook want to know what's going on? Because,
0: you yeah. know, they want, to, they want yeah. to be a
1: couple of steps ahead of us, don't they? Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. And that's one of my... My fears about this rush to recruit—you uh, know—all these twenty thousand cops to get back to sort of the pre two thousand and ten numbers. You know that inevitably within that there will be people who will be placed by organised crime groups, won't there? Hundred percent, hundred percent. And uh, so the vetting—you know—the problem is it's as you know yourself. Um, uh, you know the the vetting process can only be so effective can't it um yeah and uh so yeah it's going to be interesting to sort of see how that all pans out so so um let's sort of fast forward then a bit sort of when you're um a sort of like you go sergeant and di so where are you as a di then um
1: so i was a di well just before then i was a di DS over at the Black Country. I got promoted to a place called Sedgley, which again a bit like the college. I was like, "Where's that?" You know, yeah, yeah, whenever. Yeah. But again, a really good place to work. You know, a different, almost like a different police force, really. Um, and then I actually, I actually, Ian, you know, I don't know if you know, I, I went on a career break. I took a year out. Oh, did you? Um, yeah, because I, I, I sort of got back into the sort of DS role, and I was, you know, in my opinion, I was working my nuts off, mm. um, and, and I was with a great team. Um, and I, I was, you know, that term that's well known in the Hill, really. I was, I was probably becoming a bit job piss, really. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I was getting frustrated with some of the senior managers that, you know, either didn't see the, the threat of serious organized crime that I saw, and it was more about mm-hmm. neighbour policing. And again, n- got no problem with neighbour policing, but, mm-hmm. you know, you can't f- forget one or the other, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I took a year out, actually. I was really, really glad I did. Um, mm-hmm and um so what did you do so um so as you know i, my, I sort of had a parallel career really in that i i, I love the outdoors and climbing and mountaineer mm-hmm. and stuff like that so mm-hmm. i i grew my hair even longer and yeah. and, and, and stayed in the, so i spent i spent two months in nepal um two months in in africa and then south america down on the inca trails and oh, just wow. Just chilling out, really.
0: That must have been uh, that must have been such a shock to the system, in in a good way, you know. Uh, given what you've been doing before, I mean, you couldn't get two things more different, could you? No,
1: and I, I was really lucky actually because um, if I'm honest, when I when I took the career break, and again, you know, some forces didn't allow career breaks. Then you're either in or you're out. But West Midlands were allowing that, mm. and and I was done to be honest. And I thought that's it, you know, I'm I'm going off and I'm doing this great stuff. Not you won't see me again um but actually after about six or seven months doing this great job traveling learning lots of new stuff um Mm. i started to sort of miss that thing again really and Mm. i was a bit at first i was a bit embarrassed but i was like with you, man you know you're in peru you're on the inca trail yeah yeah. what what are you doing this but i just thought yeah no that is a passion of mine that i love doing you know i I love you know the serious organized crime stuff and that and um it, it was great because you know the the, the mortgage company eventually got hold of me and said you're not earning enough money to get you know start paying <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and I've got it out of my system a little bit really right because if you if you rewind it back joining the cadets at seventeen eighteen mm. you know
0: you'd never really had a ch- an opportunity just to kind of be you had you
1: absolutely mate absolutely you know and you know i was dead fit and i could i a uniform and i could you know i was really mm-hmm. good at all that kind of stuff but as you know you know there's a lot of other life skills out there that we need to have and, and, and you know bring into the into the, the, the cops really so so i i had that 12 months out and then came back um And bizarrely, you know, uh, me thinking that will learn them, you know, the the crime rate will go up and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Weirdly enough, the West Midlands survived without me. And and in fact, a couple of mates said, "Have you you been on leave?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah.
0: I know." Away for a year, you know. know,
1: But it, but it did me good, mate. It did me good to to actually actually still keep that passion, but don't don't be a job pissed, you know, because it's not good for you for your, your your own well-being which was that start of that sort of you know that more holistic sort of look at myself really mm-hmm. um but i came back um and, and as soon as i was back after about 12 months i was really i got another secondment um out to northern ireland i went to northern ireland for two years
0: all right two years all right yeah okay. what was that doing that's yeah. interesting
1: so I was working for the, uh, I was also kind of dead to the police ombudsman for Northern Ireland, right, uh, okay. looking at the um, historical collusions between uh, cops and paramilitaries. Right. Um, okay. So yeah, t- so I spent two years um, living, and we, we moved as a family. We, we moved. Oh, did you? So, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. All oh, right. Did, where were you living? Where were you living?
1: I was living just outside of Comba.
0: All oh, right. Uh, okay. Bloody hell! So, I didn't know that. How did I not know that? Flipping <laughs> out, Given that I'm from that part of the world.
1: Yeah, it's because I'm covert, mate. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: such a no. shit detective, aren't it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I. Uh, I loved it. It was brilliant. Great opportunity. Um, and, and and again, really glad that I went there. I mean, you know, without sort of stroking your ego too much, mate. We have this perception of what you know Northern Ireland is and all that kind of stuff. And mm. and having spent two years out there and lived yeah. there. That changed big time because I, yeah. I realised what a fantastic place it was.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, investigating some, you know, serious allegations and, and, you know, get some great experience out there. Um, But loved it. You know, my daughter did, you know, her, her education actually went skyrocket, you know, just before she yeah, we yeah. went into senior school, really. Oh, actually.
0: wow. Gosh, did she come back with a Northern Irish accent?
1: You know what? She did a little bit. It was really, really? weird. because, and, and, you know, I, I question her now. We talk about it. You know, bear in mind, she went there when she was sort of seven. And it was like this little English girl, you know, in an Irish mm. class, it was like you're the English girl, and it was a big deal yeah. for her. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but she adapted. So what way, year?
0: But, what year is this? And um, just to sort of. So time that time would
1: was... have been 2005 to 2007. I was out in Ireland. So, okay, yeah.
0: so uh, it's well, well past the sort of danger, danger period. you yeah. know, that you'd had the yeah, good, good Friday Agreement in 1998, and yeah things will have sort of settled down and a degree of normality kind of, you know, thank God. Um, so, yeah, well, that must've been, that must've been interesting. And, and was that always going to be two years or or did you sort of?
1: Well, initially it was a two year secondment. And then luckily I was offered another one, but it was at a time when my daughter actually was just going to senior school. So right. if I, if I'd have extended it, I'd have, you know, I'd want to have extended it for five years you know, for, so she could not disrupt the schooling really mm. um and there were there were you know they were open to that which was great but um we decided to, to come back to, to get some stability back back in England because, you know, in, in secondary school. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, So we came back. I finished off out there whilst Daisy started back at school, in, in uh, secondary school. But, yeah, I came back. Um, but, you know, got a lot of friends and a lot of cops that were seconded and now still live there and remain yeah, there, yeah. you
0: know. And just out of interest, I mean, obviously you would have been investigating... So allegations of collusion between security forces, i.e., RUC and army and and paramilitaries. So presumably you would have been going and speaking to uh, a lot of sort of either current or ex RUC officers. Would that be would that be the yeah. case? Yeah. And yeah. how were, and how were you treated? And would they? They must have. You must have been made to about as welcome as a as a very unwelcome thing. I would imagine.
1: Yeah. No. It was. Um yeah it was very difficult mate because obviously you know that they'd lived through that I hadn't I'd come in you know years after asking questions that were kind of like you know but you know like, like throughout my career mate I've never you know whether it's a cop a criminal a victim or whatever I've never judged anybody you know mm-hmm. and and, and and I was always bit, the, the the sort of the mindset that you know I just go towards that you know mm. I always find myself and this isn't me showing off at all, mate. I, mm. I was fearless and, and mm. still am, just to mm. go knock doors and speak to people yeah. and just build that trust right from the start. And and I found that actually with the initial hostility of you know who do you think you are coming over here and you don't know what it's like all well, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know when you when you build up that trust and you know you you, you just treat people as, as as you find them really um mm, mm. you know i i you know i i did I, I like to think that i did a really good job for, for both them and the victims
0: uh, and, and, and all sides really you know so who, think, was, uh, who was who le- was who was leading that who was from your uh, like from your boss point of view? who was your kind of top boss doing that at that time
1: so that was uh Nula alone was was right. running the uh, the ombudsman there okay um and um and obviously you'd have lots of seconded cops uh, right. out there and, then, and at the same time you'd have the Oracle inquiry team as well so there's a lot of yeah
0: overlaps cross, and duplications yeah, yeah
1: you know it was, it was a bit it was a little bit messy in, in some occasions
0: but yeah it's interesting I, um one of the one of the future podcast guests he uh I've been exchanging messages With him the last few days a very senior ex IUC officer um and it'd be really interesting to chat to him about all of that kind of stuff um get his take on it you know but uh yeah I mean it's it's very I mean I've got quite strong views myself about about all that in the sense that um I, I felt that it was very unfair that um all these terrorists who had been put behind bars for very, very long periods of time for many, many murders and explosions and everything. were just all let out of prison in 1998. Um, and, then, and then it seemed to me as if the government was quite happy to go after police officers and soldiers who had borne the brunt of most of those, you know, attacks. And it just didn't seem quite right. But, you know, there you go. There's decisions made way, way above my pay grade and all of that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, you're right. And you know what though Ian, it was, you know, that obviously that was playing on my mind. You know, you, you can't not ignore what's going on in the past and what's still mm. going on. And, and, you know, there's there are still to this day people that, you know, can't let things go or forgive and forget and, and for, for very good reasons, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: But 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 I my mindset was, you know, I'm there to do a job, um, you know, treat people with respect and dignity mm. throughout, but and actually sometimes get the justice you know, whatever justice means, you know, and sometimes yeah. that was justice for the RUC or the soldiers and stuff mm. like that. So actually, this is, this is just an allegation that there's no grounds to it at all. Yeah. And, yeah. and and I got some, you know, some really good results for that in terms of, you know, the, the headline was great, mm. but actually when you, you scratch beneath the surface and you found what evidence was or wasn't there, mm. you were able to, you know, evidence-based say, this is not, this is not the case. And okay, some press would spin it another way, but... I was able to sit with, you know, officers, military, uh, uh, you know, all, all sides of the troubles really, mm. and give them some the, the honest feedback yeah. and what they said on the on the TV and all that kind of stuff. After you know, that's their yeah. party. You know, yeah, I didn't yeah. get involved in that, but I I knew that actually we could we could get some justice for a lot of people, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I was just I was just happy, mate, to you know. Wrong, no, but me. a great,
0: a great experience, though a great experience. I'm sure, professionally, personally, um, you know, for your family, you know, it's always interesting to go and spend a bit of time in a different environment, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and I truly believe it made me an even better detective in terms mm. of you know investigating. Um, you know, because some of the people I you know interviewed, um, you know, it, you know, I'm, I'm happy to disclose. You know, I, mm. I, I when I interviewed. Jerry Adams in the Sinn Féin office, you know, oh, and, wow. uh, and yeah. I just knocked on his door and said, "I'm here to interview," you know. And he, the the look on his face when me and my mate turned up to say, "What, well, you know, you're two English cops you're in the Sinn Féin office, yeah. you're interviewing us?" But that's an example of what we would do. It wasn't like mm. we were just, you know, flippant about it. It was like, right, well, okay, so if there's, there's an allegation, here, let's get it down on paper. And uh, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And uh, when I, when I pulled out the tape. We should, and started recording. He, he he fell off his chair, but he, <laughs> he was graceful enough to say, "At least, at least you've asked." <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh God! Oh my God! I can't even imagine it. Quite honestly, but uh, having particularly having grown up there, and you know, all yeah. of these people were they were like the bogeymen to 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 people like you know me and my friends and family and community. And 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 I know that it's a complicated thing, and you know, there's different. <sighs> Different views depending on which side of that religious political divide that you come from, but um, but yeah, there was a, a lot of a lot of nastiness. But anyway, moving on. So you came back to come back to England then, and uh, did it take you a while to kind of settle back into West Midlands police life?
1: Um, no, not really. <laughs> it's kind of straight. Well, it was. I was I was thrown back straight into the serious organised crime unit. Then I was lucky enough to to sort of come back as the the sort of DI on the serious organised crime unit. Right. um and um yeah th- that's where for me as a di you know running teams with the covert jobs and stuff like that was just uh, was just great you know because um it, it, it allowed me idly to sort of you know really shine as mm. like you mentioned you know gracefully you know the mm. the notes that we were doing was 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 some really top top jobs i thought um, yeah yeah and it wasn't wasn't for everybody you know and. He, and, and again, you know, in terms of dealing with, you know, victims, but dealing with assets as well, and and again, you know, it goes back to the point you made there about, you know, people who have certain views and stuff like, you know, you know, running informants and you know, being mm. involved in that area, you know, you'd speak to some cops that were like, never over my dead body would I speak to, you know, all these kind of stuff, but actually, mm. you know, everyone's got a story, I believe, and um, and, and and that that team that I was on there, that serious organized crime unit, um you know we're just you know shoulder to shoulder on everything that we did it was like a really great team to work on all very passionate uh, mm-hmm. and determined to, to sort of tackle that serious organized threat across the across the region and um, yeah.
0: it's a very yeah. strange life isn't it you know doing doing working on these sorts of teams and and whilst i never worked on a serious and organized crime team i did work on counterterrorism teams for a long time and um yeah in the same way that you know you guys doing that guys and girls doing that have almost got to think you've got to think like a criminal haven't you um because if you don't you're not doing your job properly and um you're no good to anyone but without acting like one and and equally you know when you're doing these kinds of terrorism jobs you need to really really understand how they think and, and try and keep one step ahead of them and um yeah it's a weird one isn't it i mean did you ever see anybody who just sort of i don't know almost went kind of um almost went native so to speak you know because you do see you do see i remember i remember seeing. i'll give you a story uh years and years ago when i was a uniform pc in in south london we were out, um doing a stop on a, a couple of um guys just near brixton um as me and my partner we were st- stood chatting to them stopped them obviously we were, i think they were a couple of drug dealers, or whatever. Anyway, this plain clothes car sort of screeches up alongside us, and I jump. These two blokes who get their warrant cards out and show us that the police officers, and then one of them, who's a white bloke, and um, is probably early to mid thirties, breaks into this unbelievably um, fluent Jamaican patois, um, and I had no clue what he was saying. And, and he's berating these two blokes in Jamaican Patois, and he's a white police officer. And I thought, it just absolutely blew my mind. I'd never seen anything or heard anything like it. And um, uh, they had a bit of an altercation, and then the two police officers jumped back in the car and, and fucked off. <laughs> and I had no idea what was going on, what had been said or anything, but... But he basically turned around to me and said, "Ah, these two are all right, just let them go, you know. And I have no idea. There's obviously a story there, wasn't there? But um, yeah, but the point is that you're you're working in a world which is just such a weird world, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it it is. And uh, for for me, you know, still, you know, happy memories there, but, you know, quite stressful as well, because like you say... you know, to to be part of that, you know, and although I was leading the teams of that, you know, the teams, you know, working with the surveillance and you'd be you'd have UCs and all sorts of assets and stuff like that. You know, they could quite often have incidents like that where they would come across, you know, uniform cop and you know, they couldn't say, Don't worry, you know, talk out the side of him now if I'm on a job, you know, leave me with me. Um, it would be quite brutal for them, you know, and sometimes, you know, um, I'm sure some of the, your other guests will, will, will so of this Some of the UCs have had some really tricky interactions with cops themselves, you know. And yeah, yeah. Almost yeah. like victims, you know. And um, yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. But it was
1: very, um, you, know, um, you know, you know, you had to, you know, when we give terms of terms of objectives and stuff like that, you know, it was my role to A, to stick to the overall mission in terms of what we're doing. But inevitably, we'd have incidents like what you just described there. You know, we got mm-hmm. one job and then. You know, you talk about rogue cops. I remember being on one job, and then, you know, one super detective said, "Look, just this doesn't sound right." You know, this guy keeps coming on plot, keeps coming on plot, and I was a bit sort of, you know, well, you know, stick to the, stick to the game. You know what we're doing, and he was he was a real great detective, and uh, yeah. he, he he wouldn't let it go. And it, and it turned out that he was actually this guy who was was up to his armpits in in, in corruption. Was it was, oh, was a God. serving cop? Oh God. Um, And then ridiculously, in this guy was, you know, we ended up, um, you know, prosecuting, it was all in the public domain, but he was turned up at the police station in a red Ferrari. Oh, for God's sake. A a young probationer, you know. (laughs) like The clues were there.
0: Wasn't even trying to hide it. Yeah,
1: the clues were there. Yeah, it took us as a covert job for him to come onto our job, to go, well, what's, what's, what's going on here? Like, you know, kind of stuff. And then... You know, and everyone, you know, hindsight's great it, but everyone at the nick was going, "Yeah, what did I wondered where he got all his money from," and he was turned up. I mean, turned up, you know, as a as a cop in a Ferrari. You know, yeah.
0: Well, there was that so, horrible, there was that horrible job a few years ago, wasn't there, in Birmingham, where there was two uniform PCs. I'm not sure where they were from Western Central, possibly um, out west, west, End Western Central. It's London, isn't it? Um, Birmingham, Western Central, I think. Um, and they were going out and they de- robbing. Robbing drug dealers, I believe, in fully uniform, <laughs> driving a marked police car, yeah. and then recycling the drugs back to their organised crime group, weren't they? Yeah,
1: yeah, and and it's, that's a really good example there. When you know you, when you when you go prejudging anybody, I think that you're a danger. You know, becoming you know completely sort of bought into that culture yourself. Sometimes in that, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we could talk the whole podcast about you know, this officer did that, this officer's that. like they're there, you know, like the organisation, you know. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's where, you know, I treat the whole person, you know, never judging you know, them, never whatever background, whatever. If I can get into that that person mm. and, and, you know, whether it be an informant, whether it be, you know, uh, a, a criminal that we're investigating, whether it be a victim, you know, you need to really... Mm. get into that and, and that's for me that's what the police allowed me to do you know I never yeah. planned to be a cop yeah
0: but yeah. it just
1: allowed me to sort of follow my passion of connecting with people and mm. understanding them and asking questions and probing and all that kind of stuff um, yeah 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 And it's just a great career to do that
0: yeah definitely so I'm conscious of the time because we appreciate we've probably only got quite a short way into your career really so so when our paths crossed first of all I think we were both probably chief inspectors weren't we um, force intelligence and i was on the sort of mainstream side of things the overt side of intelligence and you were on the covert side weren't you and you were and then you went on to um the regional organized crime unit didn't you um yeah. so and then shortly after so you were sorry before i sort of move on from that too quickly um you did a load of stuff around kidnap uh, kidnap and extortion didn't you k um, and hostage, you were a hostage negotiator, weren't you?
1: Um, yeah, I was kidnapped. SIL wasn't a negotiator, but oh, right, you know, in, in the rooms in terms of the negotiators and stuff like that. But yeah, it was, again, I'd like to say I planned it, but it was another world that I entered that I absolutely loved, you know. And I don't mean that in some sort of crazy way, in terms of mm. you know, it's a really difficult area of investigation, but. It just allowed me to go up another level in the covert world because mm. our primary mm. objective was to release, you know, the safe release of, of the hostage. Yeah. Um, so so we could really push the boat out in terms of trying to find where that hostage is. But
0: horribly, horribly antisocial, though, isn't it, though? For, oh, for the, it Must was, have played uh, havoc with your domestic life because it's, there's, they always get cold out. You guys, we'd always be getting cold out in the middle of the night, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably touch on this, but in, you know, certainly this stuff I'm doing now is that, you know, for five years I was in that k e role as a oh, DI then DCI. Um, and DCI and on call for five years, you know, oh my you know God. And, and yeah. And um, you know, you look back at it now and you think like you oh god what are you doing <laughs> that kind of stuff but i was just thriving on it but you know suddenly realized actually i was surviving you know i'd just become so involved in that 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 arena and and at the time it was very close-knit i don't know if you remember but it was like there was a real tight k yeah. e rotor yeah, yeah and then yeah, eventually yeah. like you know we need to, to burden this because you know we were burning out and, mm. and and i did burn out you know absolutely no doubt about yeah, that yeah. um yeah
0: um yeah it was always the same people wasn't it it's was always the same people and then bless them they'd, you'd, you'd, you'd bump into them in a corridor like maybe two three o'clock in the the next day and they'd still be there and it'd be like uh, they'd be looking like death warmed up and they'd have been on duty for like over 36 hours or so, something ridiculous yeah. like that yeah and it's just like oh mate you look like shit you know and he said <laughs> oh yeah we've been running a green room for the last sort of two days and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I said, I seriously, I'm not a doctor, but I really do think you should go home and get some sleep. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, you, you're
1: absolutely right. And at the time, you don't see, you know, you, you become, you know, this is the, the sort of area that I'm on to now, really, that sort of, you know, the hostage taker. Well, you could be the hostage or the hostage taker yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and I truly believe that I, I was both, you know, in terms yeah, of my own yeah. mindset. And thinking yeah. that, You know, I didn't listen to people like you to say, oh, no, no, I want to, get the next promotion I want to prove who I am and you know on that role of you know I I can prove this. But there's
0: something there Martin isn't there about a duty or a lack of duty of care and and sort of further upstream isn't it because really really it should be the job of the sort of superintendents and chief superintendents to grab hold of people and say right you've done enough now you need to go home or whatever but that's the whole thing isn't it I mean, I get it. Don't get me wrong. If you, if you've got a really serious job cracking off, then you always want to have your best people, don't you? But, but if you, if they burn out, then, you know, it's, it's, it's people's lives potentially you're talking about, isn't it? You know, whether, whether it could be something as mundane as just sort of crashing your car on the way home from work because you're so tired all the way through to having a full blown nervous breakdown and and everything in between, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and, and I totally agree, mate, that it's you know, it sounds a bit sort of you know. I, I think at our level, we're really good in recognising with our staff because we would say, "You, you, you own," you know, you, "You've been on too long or whatever." We push them for sure, but we'd recognize the burnout in them. Mm. Um, but we, 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 it wasn't above us really. That, that kind of sort of, uh, well, you know, and 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 I, I, I'm to blame for that because I was the one that would would answer the phone and do the stuff and all that kind mm. of you know, and and I, you know, this this burning this burnout. That, that happens to people, you know. I'm a great believer. People are burning out, you know, and yeah, that's yeah, where we yeah. we need to be really on the yeah. front foot. Is that yeah. say, so, look, you need to go home. You need to yeah. take some time off. You need that rest and you need that nutrition. Because yeah. I was just running on empty for five years, mate. Yeah,
0: yeah. And on that one, you did then end up getting really ill, didn't you?
1: Yeah. So, so I ended up again, you know, in a, in we moved into the regional august crime unit and I was running the covert uh, covert intelligence unit. And yeah, chatting away, giving a bit of a briefing. I can't remember exactly what it was. But I was in a covert uh, uh, um, premises, and um, lights out. I was out. Really? I just had a brain seizure. Uh, I oh. just uh, I woke up. I woke up, sort of, with a load of mates running around trying to get a defibrillator. Saying, "How does this work?" Typical cops, you know. Oh, shit. <laughs> And I'm thinking, well, I know I'm in a bit of a state here, but I don't think it's a heart attack. And, and don't, you were you were a chief inspector
0: at the time, weren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was DCI in uh, in the Rock here, and um, yeah, I was whizzed off to hospital. Um, yeah, and I had a pain seizure. Yeah, I was just just completely out.
0: And has you had, any, had you had any you any history of anything like that previous to that?
1: Well. Yes, now that I know that, but at the time I was blind. Some great detective eye that I I mate. <laughs> it's right. kind of like couldn't even couldn't even see the signs that were there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, burning up to that really, and um, again, it's kind of like just plough through. You bill right, you just keep going, and get to the toilets to you know get some fresh water
0: into you. So, right. so you'd had you'd had a few sort of mini kind of like moments before that, had you? Yeah, yeah. But you sort yeah, of ignored you'd you'd kind of ignored it, had you? Yeah. Yeah, I did.
1: And, and it's embarrassing to even say that, but I'm glad that I am saying it because as soon as I start saying this and telling people, there'll be hands going up going, yeah, I've been there. I know that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, one thing, if I can get across even in this podcast and all the work I do now is, it is okay to say, I'm feeling shit. I'm feeling crap. Yeah. And it's even more okay for managers and teams around us to say, you need to go home. You know, you yeah. need some rest. You need some stuff like that. And uh, yeah, and, and, and I was I was the hostage taker of my yeah. own thoughts and mindset and everything else. Mate. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. And, and yeah, so that was um, and what was the uh, you know, what was the
0: what was the sort of diagnosis, so to speak, if you're happy enough to talk about
1: that? Yeah, no, very happy. So eventually, uh, again, you know, went into denial. It's OK. I just had a bit of a moment, you know, of obviously you know, lack of sleep. Uh, classic sort of you know I'll, I'll train harder you know I was always into my sort of fitness anyway so I'll just work harder um, and then I'd, I'd had I'd been I went to hospital and I was discharged and I was, there was a follow-up thing and I was told to take a, a week off and again went just went skiing you know just thought oh this is all right I'm okay I just had a moment and then found myself in a, an outpatient uh, epileptic sort of clinic and I was thinking you know why am i here like again you know great detective <laughs> mm-hmm. what why am i here kind of stuff you know and um mm-hmm. the long story short was that I, I was lucky that i had a great uh, consultant who um did some tests on me uh, and uh, eventually diagnosed that i'd added an epileptic fit but was brought down brought on by fatigue right and, and what what they did is that they actually they they sort of they did they sort of um, simulated it again really and they kept me up all night widely up uh, didn't tell me they we were doing this um, and then as they asked me to go to sleep they were sort of asking me questions and I was getting a bit arsy with them really and yeah, asking yeah. the same questions and they were just probing me probing me yeah and then suddenly another seizure yeah, uh, similar like to that. the one I had before came out and I was out again and, oh, and but God. but that was great in a way because you know I've since learned a lot of people that have epilepsy really don't get a real defined diagnosis right whereas mine was it was frontal lobe like decision making all that kind of stuff and and it was brought on by fatigue
0: so so you could probably you know without sort of seeking you know to portion blame or whatever um it's clearly work-related wasn't it
1: Hundred, hundred percent, mate, hundred percent, and uh, the blame, you know, it, it, and it's not, it's not about the blame because you know I'm a big portion of that, you know, I'm a, a grown adult, uh, you know, father, and all this kind of, you know, this leader of people, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, I was ignorant to it to myself, and um, this is where you know that passion of mine now is to is to raise that awareness to stop people burning and burnt out, mm-hmm. um, because uh, it, it, you know, I was, you know. It, Daft as it seems, to be, and I was embarrassed by the whole thing, you know. Um, and it was only when I realised the love and, and support that was shown from all the colleagues around me, because bear in mind, i have done this in front of everybody. You know, mm. I, couldn't have, I couldn't have picked the worst more moments more, of, to have done yeah. it. Um, but I was glad. Well, they often,
0: that, they often say, don't they, that people are more scared of embarrassing themselves by having yeah. a heart attack in a public place than having a heart attack, aren't they? Yeah, that's exactly. It's the, the, thing the embarrassment, isn't it?
1: yeah and it's bonkers isn't it you know it's kind of like you know that's exactly what i felt and and yet the, the feedback i got from everyone else is that they, they were they were worried as well you know they were generally you know there's mm. me giving this great leadership role i was supposed to be doing and i was out lights like, out in because of act off on a stretcher out the office um yeah. and, I, and i suddenly it eventually dawned on me and again you know, the credit goes to my daughter. You know, there's me running these green rooms and super detective, um, and mm. she kidnapped me and she took me to a epilepsy sort of coffee morning mm. uh, where other people have been suffering with it because I was in denial and to be honest, mm. I thought oh, mm. it's just a blip, I'll get over this. Um, and it was only when she then disappeared and I realised I was talked to a lot of people and they're all mentioning epilepsy. I thought, oh yeah, you've kidnapped me, you brought me to this this coffee morning in Birmingham, and it was it was brilliant because I speak to people that had suffered mm. and, and are, were suffering and are, um, but also realised that actually it could have been a lot worse, you know, yeah. I was, I was one of the lucky ones and, you know, people were having seizures in front of me in that coffee morning. was oh. a regular thing for oh, me. You know? um, so it, it was a real um, awakening for me to say, you know, you need to get this balance back in life, still be passionate, still be passionate about it, have uh, mm. this purpose, but you know what about the rest? What about the nutrition? What about exercising the mind? What about doing that? And it, it just sent me down another trail of my mm. own well being and others really, mate.
0: Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So I'm really looking forward to coming on and hearing about what you're doing now around that sort of well-being and outdoor stuff and everything. Um but just just a sort of top and tail the kind of policey bit, I suppose. Um so you end up going out to do some stuff for the United Nations, isn't that right? So how did that all happen?
1: Yeah, because again Martin Brennan's career throughout completely blagging it mate I was
0: sort of, sort of uh, you know. fake it till yeah, you like, make
1: it well yeah I, I thought about <laughs> this the other day and I remember he was a young detective going onto the first crew and they said so you need to get a warrant for one two three the high street and I got my coat went out and they're like where are you going so I'm going to get a warrant <laughs> it's like do you know how to do that and I was like no I'll just go and ask the magistrate for a warrant you know it's kind of like just I just get stuck in, yeah, and yeah. uh, there was like, "Come back here, you idiot!" You know, there's certain things we have to fill in and all that kind of stuff. I'm glad mm. they did, but that's what I've done with everything, really. And and, mm. I, and I saw this opportunity um, working I, just before that. I was seconding down to the HMIC. I was I was actually, I believe, although a few colleagues will will brag me about this gamekeeper poaching all that. I was actually the serious organised crime lead for HMIC. Right.
0: Okay. But,
1: again, another perception that we have about it i was actually supporting off you know cops and stuff like going in there going look yeah it's not yeah. here to, to catch you out this is the homework if you if you don't do it yeah just, just why you don't do it so
0: yeah
1: i spent a year down there and then a, a job came up where i was just starting to work for what, what's called the stabilization unit then and um, you were
0: superintendent by this stage weren't
1: you yeah yeah so superintendent yeah. down in in london at the hyc and um they wanted a serious organized crime expert <laughs> to mm-hmm. advise the, the Secretary General of the United Nations. I thought <laughs> I, I could get that warrant back when I was a DC. I could do that, you know. <laughs> Brilliant!
0: It's got your but, name uh, all over it, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So I I, I put put an application in, and long story short, for bloody hell, better polish up here. And I've got an interview, and um, long story short, mate, I ended up being out in in the HQ out in New York uh, advising. Peacekeeping missions on, funny enough, corruption and uh, right, social okay. crime threats, stuff like that. Where United Nations had peacekeeping missions. Um,
0: oh wow, fantastic! So, yeah, well, how long did you do that for? So, I did that just under
1: eighteen months? Right, um, and you're right in New um, York the whole time. Yeah, it was hell. Uh, <laughs> and what was it? Did your uh, did your
0: did your wife come out there with you or?
1: Um, so she did for a while, but my daughter at that stage, she was just going through uni, so right, she was okay. a bit more stabilised back in the UK. So I, I was living out in, uh, in Brooklyn, actually. I was living in Brooklyn. Uh, right. So they they would come over and have some long vacations and stuff yeah, like that, yeah,
0: that. I was going over into, oh, brilliant. into Manhattan. So, oh, wow, um, that must have been a real eye-opener, was it?
1: It was brilliant, mate. You know, and uh, again, you know, I've got certain views on the United Nations as well. Yeah, it's <laughs> okay. it's, it's huge brand, Kind of like, well, yeah, what, what do you do? You know, kind of stuff. And yeah. I, I was, I was a little bit frustrated at the end because I was given this task to do stuff. But when I was going out to peacekeeping missions, I went out to, to Mali and Bamako and work in the Norwegians. It, it was brilliant, you know, because you're literally out there yeah. supporting, helping, and guiding and mentoring, and it was just brilliant. Yeah. Back in the HQ, mate, you, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to put, a, you've got to pull together a, a, an intelligence document. What is intelligence in peacekeeping?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the
1: Brits are happy with it. The US are happy with it. You get put it under the nose of China. They're not happy with it. You put it under the nose of Russia, Russian. They're happy it. And you just keep going round and round and round. And uh, yeah, it's interesting.
0: Know. I did have. I was working for a customer there uh, about a year ago who was um, doing a lot of stuff around online safety, artificial intelligence around um, uh, automated moderation of social networks and online discourse and um i did a, a two or three day thing with you know a nation's organization which i'll i won't embarrass them by naming them but um oh my god it was the most bureaucratic thing i've ever experienced in my entire life and um and i just thought how does anything ever get done in this organization i suspect the answer is it doesn't you know
1: well, you know, uh, we used to have a, a, a phrase back, in, in, even at Belgrave Road, as a, a, you know, a dead postman that you know doesn't deliver much. You know? <laughs> and that phrase was 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 pretty up there. It's, don't get me wrong; there's some great people there, and they do some brilliant stuff. Um, it's almost like too big, you know, in yeah, terms of yeah. the brand, and uh, you know. And I get it, mate. You know the political side. So you know you're trying to get you know get them all to agree with it. I yeah. what's happening.
0: Oh yeah, if you want to if you want to lose the will to live, have a look at a set of minutes from a meeting uh, run by United Nations sort of sub director or something. It's,
1: oh mate. It's, well, the first half hour was just thanking everybody, you know, for coming. <laughs> And about,
0: and about a thousand yeah. different languages is it
1: yeah it's just i just <laughs> want to thank you and i just want to thank your brother and these cat and everyone else's for coming and it was just i remember the the, the 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 dutch ambassador once she said look forget all the thank yous we've got some food over there let's just get on with it and i was like this is the kind of meeting i want to be on to you know um oh, but brilliant. yeah great experience mate and um and and again you know, just shows that you can still have that purpose of the serious organized crime, but just mm. you know, do it in different ways. You know, I, I took myself off call. Uh, I started to look after my own well being better, uh, but I was still you know doing what I thought was good at, and um, you know, frustrating that it was with the UN. But out in, in Mali it was it was brilliant.
0: You know, you did yeah. feel like
1: you were making a bit of a difference out there.
0: Well, know? that's where you know, from people I know who have who have done some work with United Nations, they all say they all say the same is that um, when you're actually on the ground you know, in a war zone or whatever, doing stuff, then it's a whole different thing altogether. And I think, yeah, yeah, I think you've got just lots of people there who've got a very sort of can-do attitude, haven't they? But um, So, yeah, so so you retired from the police from that role, did you? Uh, Yeah, well, I came back just
1: before the pandemic. So then I ended up sort of a bit of a strategic role in the ROCU and the sort of the the serious organised crime director down in London um, just putting some stuff together for the pandemic really but yeah I was only back for about six months now I retired
0: right um
1: and that was it mate I and how was, did
0: that and just I'll ask you this question because I asked quite a few people how did that feel how did it feel to leave the police was that a was that excitement or was it sad or was it you know emotional um it wasn't sad. <laughs> and I don't mean
1: that with, I, you know, I yeah, love yeah, my yeah. career, mate. I just, I've been a firm believer, mate. Right at the beginning, I never knew I wanted to be a cop. Um, and I never let the cop define me who I was, you know? Yeah, and and yeah. I, I never was embarrassed to say I was a cop, but I never I introduced myself as Martin the policeman, as the sergeant, as whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and that served me well, really. And and, and sort of transition out for me. Um, Was fine, you know. I, Mm. I, you know, and and it's a tough job still to be in. I've got respect for for everyone that's still serving and doing some great stuff. Yeah, but I think thirty years of it, you know, is enough, enough. isn't it? Yeah, it is. And you know, people say, "Oh, you retired." I've retired from the police, I haven't retired, I'm still doing stuff, you know, but I've I've, I've moved on from that bit really, so so it was a a fair, and it was in lockdown, so that was a bit weird for everybody, you know, couldn't even have a leave and do, which was was a bit bit rubbish, yeah, but, um, you know, it it was, it is what it is, and um, it was fairly, uh, fairly okay for me, and actually being out in the United Nations, I'd already got that sort of, I yeah. met so many people in that was like the day one they finished, and then the day one, what am I doing next? I thought that to me sounds like a really bad strategy. You need yeah. to start thinking about it. So, Definitely, probably yeah. sort of last twelve months of my career, I would started to think about the coaching yeah. and the well-being, yeah. and, and sort yeah. Of, yeah. so for me there was a plan already when I was going out here.
0: Brilliant. So, so let's talk about that then. So, you're what you're, you're what you're doing now? Um You so correct me if I'm wrong here. So, you're you're a qualified coach, um, and you've done all sorts of um, very intensive training courses to do that with the arguably one of the best providers in the world, Coactive, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but you've put a particular spin on it, haven't you? So, so just talk about what you're doing. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so
1: when when I was going through the coaching process and stuff like that, they they, they kind of. You know the mentors and stuff like that. so you, you need a niche, you know, you need a niche area, you know, what, mm. what are you gonna because you know, there's so many people doing great stuff out there. And um, I thought, well, am I, gonna do? I knew what I didn't want to do, I didn't really want to do the executive coaching stuff like that. Again, important that it is, but
0: mm.
1: kind of done enough of that. And I thought, well, I, I love being in the outdoors as a There, yeah? I had this career break when I was traveling around, so I've got some good qualms and, and experience in, in that. Now, as a coaching. Mm-hmm. and I'd had this wobble of my own well-being and you know and I was sharing that story with people and I've done this experience with kidnapping extortion why don't I just be an outdoor well-being coach mm-hmm. and um, it kind of just drifted into that where I used the co-active training and my experience in the outdoors mm-hmm. but I used the KE model and I've come up kind of with a I'd say I'm on my own, but everyone copies certain bits of the models and stuff like that. But it's like a seven-step sort of coaching model within the, the within the kidnap world that I use to successfully you know, recover hostages that I'd use in mm-hmm. the coaching now. Um and it resonates with people both in yeah. the outdoors because they're outside get a bit of fresh air, a bit of you know, the, the the vitamin D, the movement and all the things that I'm a huge advocate for. Mm. And then when you talk about you know a hostage of your own thoughts and thinking and anxiety
0: yeah
1: uh, people get it you know they understand it because they're living this life that they're in you know they're not making yeah. it up and yeah, um, yeah yeah so I used the co-active coaching and the outdoors and my experience as a, a, a kidnapped sort of investigator really um to unlock that, that that sort of hostage within people's thoughts and thinking and yeah. mind really I really
0: like that you know I mean I know we had a Pre, pre-podcast pre chat a couple of two three weeks good a way but I really love that model the idea that you know are you your own hostage taker and I just think that's so appropriate because I know I certainly have been in the past yeah. you know I've been a hostage I've been a hostage to my own thinking to to my own behavior and you know are you the you know you can be the hostage and the hostage taker all and in, all inside one person can't you
1: Absolutely. mate, and, and and the thing that I like about it, when you go through the seven steps of it, you know, it's kind of like, okay, that's how we investigate hostage. Well, let's start doing that with ourselves. You know, mm. where where are you hostage? What is that inner saboteur, the, the hostage taker that's gripping you at the moment? Is it, you know, the perfectionist, the victim, the other thing, whatever it is, you know, who do you sit with and talk, you know, in the green rooms? Who do you negotiate with? You know, yeah. who do you start having that conversation with? And then the difficult thing that people really find, you know, really hard is go towards, you know, negotiate with the baddies. Mm. You know, mm. To release that hostage, you've got to go in with clenched fists and, and, you know, the stuff that we talked about right at the beginning. You've got to start talking to these people. Yeah. Um, and I think, I truly believe you've got to start doing that with the gremlins, the saboteurs, whatever ego you want to put on it, you've got to start approaching that. And when you start self-directing that rather than being hijacked by it, Mm. there's a new awareness and there's a new energy that comes through that and and and, a, and almost like a comforting feeling like, ah i'm not crazy the amount of people i coach in that say this might sound crazy but da da da
0: mm. you know and
1: and it just ruminates round and round and round in their thoughts and then
0: yeah. we
1: know through the, the neuroscience now that if we're thinking you know it's this embodiment you know it's going to come somewhere yeah. you know yeah. through through various sort of hormones this is but this is
0: where this is where i think policing and maybe things are changing i don't know because i'm not in it anymore but this is where i think policing can be very unhelpful as a profession for people's mental health because it is a sort of a whether we like it or not it's a disciplined service it's 24 7 um it's emerged it's always acting in some sort of crisis slash emergency scenario um and um it's very very hard i think for people to to be really honest about how they're feeling sometimes you know it, it is i don't care what anybody says there is still probably a bit of a stigma about saying you know what i don't feel as if i'm coping very well at the moment you know yeah and i think if people yeah. were kind of given permission to say that um in a supportive way. not not just because they don't fancy coming in and doing nights or because it's a Friday and they're going to want to go on the piss with their mates. You know what I mean? There's a difference, isn't there, of being sufficiently uh, judicious to understand someone who's just taking the piss and someone who is actually really genuinely struggling for whatever reason. I just don't Mm -hmm. think... Policing is, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's people listening to this who work in all sorts of other organisations who go, well, I don't think it's just policing. I think it's every large organisation. I don't know, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah,
1: I think that the, the, the latter both, mate, really. That it's, it's, you know, I, I do a lot of work now with uh, the military in terms of um, yeah. you know, coaching the transition out, wounded, injured and sick service personnel and, and veterans as well. Mm-hmm. uh again through the outdoors you know we did some great stuff there and and what i've found through the experience i've got with working with the great people is that again going back to that just mm-hmm. talk to someone without that judgment whatever the background whatever you think they have done or haven't done, treat them as that whole that no very rarely people are born bad you know unless you're a, a proper psycho you know yeah, they're usually yeah, yeah. influenced and they've followed, followed role models and we've all had role models and we could have gone left or right you know yeah yeah and, and i think if you can create a safe environment and i think the challenge with most organizations including the police is, is that they'll say well we've got this we've got hr well you know, you're not going to open up, or I wouldn't have opened up, and I suspect a lot of people will not open up. If you want to get promoted in a couple of years, time no, or whatever,
0: definitely not. And open no. up
1: about you know your demons or how you thinking, and then the next couple of weeks, that same person's on your board for your interview.
0: <laughs> you're just
1: right. not going to create it, and
0: yeah. and I
1: think when we when I was suddenly worked with the military, you know, firstly, I'm like, well, you, you've never been in the army, and I'm like, no, I don't know. You're absolutely right, you know, but I know to to listen and how to talk and how to treat people with respect. And, and that's where the magic works for me in terms of, you know, they, mm. you will unlock that, you know, this is what's on my mind. You know, they'll, they'll come with a topic here and there's always a topic behind that. Yeah. And again, that's where the detective skills, I believe, right when I was at Belgrave helps me in terms of, well, you've said that, but I'm hearing this and I'm hearing that, you know, sensing this. Yeah, yeah. And, and usually they'll go, okay, yeah, it is it's my relationship or it's my finances or my job or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's that negotiator. that's the buddy that you've gone to. Once you embrace that bit,
0: yeah, you
1: start to think, oh, okay, we could there isn't a there's a route out of this. We can release this thought, yeah. this hostage, and that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and I think
1: the organizations. You know, we, we're trying to, we're doing some stuff with the blue light services and we're slowly getting there. But again, there's still this kind of, "all oh, we can do this ourselves you know, kind of stuff. And, and if they can, great. But my experience is oh, not yeah. very good. At you them. know,
0: you know, the ones that, that always used to make me laugh was when they would put out an uh, in, internal advert in the place that are uh, internal advert for mentors or Um, diffusers or there'll be some sort of soft skill training that people would and people would think oh that'll look good on my next promotion Mm. or whatever so so I'll go I'll go for that you know and then uh, if you had an issue you'd be sort of put in touch with someone who you know one of your staff you'd say right what you need we need to get you in sort of linked in with someone who's one of our mentors or whatever and it would be someone who they absolutely hated, or who or who had turned them down for promotion at their previous promotion board or something, and it's just like it's never yeah. going. It's never going to work, is it? Yeah, you're
1: right, and and that's where if you've got someone independent. Sounds like I'm marketing myself, but I'm I'm truly not. I think just have somebody that is independent yeah. that can go and have that without the judgment, with the good skills and good communication, and actually have that honest conversation. I mean, I call people out, mate. You know, we we mm. quite often have people with look, I think you're your saboteur is, you're a victim. You know, you've got to let this go. You know, you're living in the past. Yeah, and, and and that's sometimes a tricky conversation to have with somebody, but you've got to have it with them. And 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 most people who are in that sort of moment of, you know, can't see the wood from the trees, they want to hear that. Whereas as you, mm-hmm. you've just described there, people will just come in, you know, and I always say to, you know, the first coaching I do, you know, we design what we call the alliance, the contract, you know, how we're going to work with each other there's no bullshit you know Mm. what you know i've got to like you and you've got to like me because if we don't this relationship isn't going to work because that relationship you're going to get out of it it's not what i'm going to get out of it's you're getting out of this relationship Mm. and even that breaks down the barriers when people think okay so he's not on my board next week he's not going to go and talk about me to all his mates and laugh about me and that
0: yeah yeah
1: um so that's where i think um you know organizations including the police and big organizations need to need to get and there are some that, that are groundbreaking there's some are doing it you know and and, mm. and, and mm. doing some great stuff but um i wish you know and i hope certainly my passion now is to to raise more of that awareness and you know by, by rolling out my story and
0: other stories it's all
1: right to talk about this. It. you know this Ego, so you're
0: all actually. Striking. So you're actually, you're actually doing um, some stuff with your local NHS, aren't you? So, so it's this sort of idea of social prescribing. So, just describe. I mean, I know what that is, but other people probably don't. So, just describe what that is.
1: Yes. Again. Um... You know, out of pandemic, you know, well, in pandemic, starting as a coach, as a coach, you know, who's going to employ Martin Brennan as a coach? And real difficult to start off and things like that. Slowly getting some work, and then uh, there was this advert for a local charity, uh, Worcester Charity, where I live, and uh, on-site advocacy. Big shout out for them, who, who've got wellbeing uh, services with local NHS uh, in Hereford and Worcester. And again, I thought wow, that would be really great for me you know not long out the cops you know you know broadening my sort of uh skill set mm-hmm. and and i work now for three days a week at local surgery uh where again i bring that model in where gps will refer uh patients who are, have got various uh challenges and issues and thoughts on their mind and we work quite holistically with them in that they might be having compounds and medical prescriptions uh or they might be saying go out with Martin for for six sessions and they come with me for um an hour at a time uh, but the proviso is they meet me outdoors we go for a walk it's not boot camp if they don't want to it can be if they want to uh, but we get some fresh air we go mm-hmm. and walk around the woods and park we sit down and we just do that model do the coaching that i've described mm-hmm. um, and it's brilliant you know I- it's very rewarding for me. Uh, we've seen some great successes with the patients, which is which is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And it's reducing some of the burden on, on the NHS, which is yeah. again, you know, it's a great thing, isn't it? So yeah, that's social prescribing is the umbrella described for that. There's various other things that on site do, which is brilliant. But my role there, sort of, you know, three days a week I work for them. Uh, and I love it and It's just great, you know, just yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know all these great people that have got crap going on in their lives yeah you know.
0: yeah definitely well I was saying to you wasn't I on the phone that um you know I've been doing this hospice chaplaincy for the last five years and, and it's very similar so it's, it's interesting because um you know and I make it very clear when I'm speaking to patients or the families or whatever that you know I'm not it's not counseling I'm not going to solve your problems for you um it's a conversation really and 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 if you want to keep it light we'll keep it light if you want to go deep we'll go deep and that's fine there's nothing's off limits um and it's a very similar very very similar I think to what you're describing in the sense that you know I don't have a model in my head at all it's just because every person I speak to is is uh the only thing that kind of you know the only common denominator is that they're all dying i suppose uh, maybe not in not maybe not in, in you know imminently but you know they are they've all had a they've all had a terminal diagnosis of something or other um so yeah it's 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 really interesting and i do think that there's something there isn't there about it. sometimes you don't necessarily want to you know speak to a counselor about something it, it it's actually sometimes more helpful to just have a conversation with someone who actually gives a shit you know and what is, is happy to listen to whatever it is that you want to talk about
1: isn't it yeah yeah you're absolutely right mate and and you know think about that throughout my career whatever role rank i was doing that's where i was successful you know mm-hmm. just, I, I did give a shit and i would talk to you mm. know, victims who were being exploited, mm. uh, you know, the, the, the drug dealers who were being exploited, the, the street workers and, you know, all that. But I, I gave a shit, you know, and mm. um, and it's that connection for me that, that is very, very rewarding that, you know, I do care. Mm. I'm passionate about, you know, supporting people and helping them. And then the police was, was great for me. And now the coaches mm. is, is that bit for me. But the, the, yeah. the skills are there and that's where you know again a lot of cops go through this when they're transitioning out of the service you know Mm. what can i do well you know don't underestimate the skills that you've got whatever role you've had in the police there are stuff there that you can um just have that conversation with somebody you know definitely
0: Um, yeah definitely and and and,
1: and people appreciate it ian you know i'm sure you've got a hundred examples where you oh
0: he's just frozen
1: Hopefully, it'll
0: come back. Oh, got you back. Yeah. Got you Go back. back mate. Nice. Yeah. So, so you were saying. Um, I'll edit that little bit out. Don't worry. Um, yeah. you were saying you've probably got hundreds of examples, and then you froze. So, yeah, you, you you've probably got hundred examples where you, you've
1: had a massive impact on on mm. someone's hour or life by either mm. just having that conversation, listening. Or just holding them there in that environment.
0: Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes, don't be wrong, sometimes, um, you know, it can be very. I have weeks when I go in there where um, you think, oh, that was not a waste of time because you'll always have a good crack with the nurses and doctors and things like that. Um, But it's never a waste of time. But sometimes you just think, I'm not sure I accomplished anything today. But then there's other times, and this is probably thankfully more often the case. When you think, oh, my God, that absolutely blew my mind, that conversation blew my mind, you know, and I've had people, I've had people in their 90s, literally in their 94, 95 years old, telling me for the first time ever that they were sexually abused as a child, Mm -hmm. you know, and they've never told anyone ever, you know, and it's a huge um on burdening of them to to be able to have that conversation and and there's nothing i can do about that because it's because it's happened and and they're in the mid 90s now and the person who abused them is probably long dead but um you know and that's probably a slightly dramatic ver- example and it's no it's not always as dramatic as that but there's lots and lots of examples of someone who um tells you something that they've probably been holding inside them and hasn't been doing them any good um, for a long, long time, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And again, if you go there with that sort of open-minded, non-judgmental, you know, similar to you, I had had one old lady, bless her, that, you know, lost her husband in the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I went to meet and we had a chat and I wasn't really sad and all that, and actually, she was she was relieved that he'd gone because mm. <laughs> he he would held her so long under a spell that she mm. had this new freedom. And I'm like, "Oh right, wow, where are we going to go with this?" That kind of stuff. And yeah. the, the yeah. conversations that you have are just so magical that mm. you, you don't know what they're carrying, you know. And it, yeah. again, it just goes back to that that hostage that they've been, you know, yeah. in their thoughts and their minds and stuff like that if you're just able to go towards that topic or they'll open up to you, it mm. just feels free. And I never met a hostage, in when we debriefed them that said that was a great experience. <laughs> and, you know, and why would they, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we can think of it like that is what, why is it a great experience to keep these thoughts in, to not have coaches or mentors or people that we could just go and just talk to and mm. and cops are good at this, you know. Mm. We know we yeah. know cops that are rubbish at it, and they're, they're, they've mm. lived, They have been defined by their job and their role. But forget yeah. the Majority of them are really good, passionate listeners that want to, you know, and listeners and, and want to do good for somebody. You know, yeah, and, yeah. And that, and that's um, that's what we need to focus on really. Definitely. Yeah. So,
0: where uh, if people are listening to this and they think, "Oh, it sounds brilliant! I fancy a bit of that." Um, how do they? How would people find you, uh, Martin?
1: So, I'm on the usual sort of platforms. I'm on obviously LinkedIn, and um, I'm ventured onto Instagram now, mate. I've got down with the kids. I'm on Instagram <laughs> uh, some well, with, stuff with
0: lo- long, l- flowing locks <laughs> like that. <And laughs> that comes as no surprise to me. <laughs> yeah,
1: and um, and yeah, I've got a website, MartinBrennan Dot uk people can find me there and uh, and again, you know, if, if people just want to have a chat about stuff, you know, yeah, we, we are not the first mate that have gone through this.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 people
1: always feel that. And I use the sort of the little bit of model of that sort of comfort zone and stretch zone, and when we go yeah. out of that stretch zone, it's a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, but actually, in that stretch zone, there's a lot of friends if you're mm. willing to speak to people. yeah um, and, and yeah. I think if we can get that I'm, I'm good on you for for the stuff you do as well mate but just raising awareness and just having that environment where you can reach out to people uh, yeah well just, I've I've been know. very
0: open I've been very open about my own you know uh historic you know and, and who knows future mental health struggles and stuff uh, everything's good at the moment but um yeah at, at the end of the day we're all very fragile creatures aren't we and yeah. anyone anyone who thinks that they're not is just well nothing uh it'll happen to them in due course at some point won't it you know
1: yeah yeah. But, and, yeah and and you're absolutely right mate and if we can prevent it and it goes back to you know the serious organized crimes all about pursue you know the mm. end of my career i was trying a bit more on the prevent but using the same tools to prevent you know we don't yeah. want people burning out we want to you know there's too many graveyards full of good people like that and yeah, you know and uh, we, we, we you know if we can do that by raising awareness having those conversations um mm. in a safe environment let's do it
0: oh brilliant Listen, mate, I think that's probably a pretty good place to, uh, to, to draw to a close... Mate, that was absolutely fantastic, fascinating, really fascinating. I learned I learned tons about you there that I didn't know. I didn't know you'd been in Northern Ireland for two years. I'm actually quite pissed off about that because um because <laughs> we could have talked all sorts of Northern Ireland stuff, couldn't we? Um Yeah, didn't know you'd been in New York and you've been in United Nations, didn't realize you'd been in New York, so that's in that's dead interesting. And uh yeah, so didn't realise you had a year out right as well, so that's flipping out. <laughs> You've, you've packed a lot of life into your life, haven't you? So, uh, listen, thanks a million for coming on. I really, pleasure, really mate. enjoyed that. It was great. And, um, yeah, and uh, you can go and enjoy the rest of your Jubilee weekend now. And, yeah, um, you, you know, too,
1: mate. God save the Queen.
0: Raise a glass to Her Majesty, yeah. <laughs> a glass or ten, probably, in my case. Yeah, That's brilliant, awesome. mate. Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: And, mate, you know, I mean, we are in touch, but, yeah, stay in touch. You know, I'm yeah, fascinated yeah. by what you're doing and, where you going to go with it and stuff like that? Yeah, if I can be well, of any support or well, I've had uh, just...
0: I've had my first sponsors offering to sponsor the podcast in the last sort of three or four days, so that's good. Ah, like, yeah, uh, well, a, a big, well. a very big global company as well, which is a bit weird, you know. So, yeah, uh, yeah so it's say yeah, it's good. It's all good. I'm it's not
1: surprised got... though, Ian. You know, I obviously I listened to a few of you that you've done, you know, just to sort of see what the flavours and that, and they're mm. they're great, mate. They're they're good, and you.
0: What what you no, you no is, bullshit is there
1: no bullshit no bullshit mate you know and, and people will and I, it's interesting is it because i've kind of not disengaged in the cops but you realize you've moved on and, mm. you know we can all become those low-flying dinosaurs and stuff like that yeah, yeah yeah but but how you have that conversation and it's interesting and it's as you say no bullshit this is the way it is mm. um I I think that's a really helpful and healthy thing to do, mate. So I'm not not surprised you are getting interest with some sponsors, mate. So good (laughs) on you.
0: Great. Excellent. All right, mate. Listen, thanks ever so much. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up. I always say this to, I'm going to spend the rest of my life drinking beer because I always say this to podcast guests, we'll catch up for a beer sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I genuinely mean it, but uh, God only knows when, you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, mate, I look forward to it. And if it ain't on a beer, it'll be on the hill somewhere.
0: Excellent. Good man. All right, Martin, you take care, mate. Bye bye, bye, bye. Take care. Bye bye, bye, bye. Bye bye,
1: mate.
0: If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be really grateful if you can give it a five star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Equally, if you've read my book and enjoyed it, then I'd be really grateful if you'd give it a five-star review on Amazon as that's probably the only platform you can use to review books apart from Goodreads I think and if you want to contact me to tell me anything or ask me anything you can do that uh, by sending an email to ian I A I N at ik-insights.com which is my work email address And finally, if you'd like to be part of the Tango Juliet Foxtrot Facebook site, you can find it, funnily enough, on Facebook. Thanks a lot. Once we had a policeman, he was often in our street. We used to smile. Walking on his beat, but no, we never see him. It really makes us frown. No longer do we feel that we're the safest street in town. Oh. <laughs>